were a quiet Pentecostal sect living a secretive life in rural northern Sweden. But in 2004, their lives were thrown into the international spotlight when two of the sect's congregants were shot inside their homes. What followed were revelations of soap opera-esque scandals, affairs, beatings, and a secret clique. We're talking about the religious community of Knutby, Philadelphia, whose leader at the time of the scandals was known by some as the Bride of Christ. Everyone, one and all, welcome to Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Sruti Bala. Every week, we're going to cover your favorite cults, faith followers, and secret societies. We will look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. And yes, today we are talking about the Canute Philadelphia Congregation and the 2004 murder that rocked its community. We'll get into how the killer believed it was God's wish for her to commit the murders, and how the sex leader at this time, Osa Valdau, aka the Bride of Christ, led the group with an iron fist, which ultimately led to the sect breaking apart in 2016. And for the first time ever, we have a Sinister Societies, a podcast original, a Spotify original from podcast, first time ever, because this is the first time we have covered something on Sinister Societies that we've already done on Red Hand. Ah, ding, ding, ding. Dingity, ding, ding, ding. No, this is this is a few dingity dings, actually, this episode, because um, it's also one of the few times we talk about a female cult leader. Female cult leader, absolutely. And uh, when we did it on Red Handed a couple of years ago, we just found out we'd said her name wrong. Oh, good. That's definitely not how we said it. Already. So just copy and paste. Copy, copy and paste. Copy and paste. Copy and paste me saying <laughs> all Savalda into our episode. But no, this case is, um, it is one of the wilder ones out there. And as you are going to find out, dear listener, there are many, many layers to this story. So let's get into it. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. So before we get into the murders and various other scandals that took place and how Osa Valdau came to lead it. Sweden's an interesting one. Quite a secular, secular society. So you don't see many cults coming out of there, but this is one of them. The Pentecostal community of Knutby, Philadelphia was founded in the village of Knutby in 1921. Knutby is about an hour and a half north of Stockholm and has a population of just 500 people. Teeny tiny. That's just asking for trouble. And uh, let's do my favorite thing, uh, which is a quick refresher on the modern Pentecostal movement. It's founded in the early 1900s in Kansas, and today it's one of the fastest growing religions in the world. And the key thing about Pentecostals is that they believe that faith must be powerful, experiential, and not something found merely through ritual or thinking. They also believe that they are driven 
by the power of God moving within them. Crucially, they also take the Bible at its word. It is not an interpretation. It is absolutely the word of God. And they're called Pentecostals because the Feast of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit comes to the disciples in a little flame jumps into their mouths and then they can either suddenly speak all of the languages of the world at once or they're just gibbering speaking in tongues which is what the Pentecostals love to do so that's why they're called that <laughs> and amazing you probably know if you've watched any television at all that charismatic leadership is also a common feature of the Pentecostal movement speaking in tongues like I just said and baptism through the Holy Spirit are a big part of their beliefs and they also have a very key belief because they believe in the Bible word for word that Jesus Christ is going to return. One of Canute Philadelphia's distinct characteristics within the Pentecostal community was its continuous re-evaluation of previous theological positions where the members bring up subjects for discussion. Which, historically, Christianity takes incredibly well. I was going to say, so far, I'm like... That sounds like a good thing, that you're like re-evaluating theological positions that have been long held for many, many a generation. But um, obviously that also means that somebody's in there to fucking fuck shit up. Yeah, and fuck shit up she does. Mm -hmm. So basically, they would study the scripture in search for what the Bible says and formulate new theologies. This means that their doctrine in the Canopy Philadelphia community is dynamic and sometimes changes. And as a result, mm -hmm. they are excluded from the rest of the Pentecostal church. Mm -hmm. And they have like an annual, they have like a yearbook of all of the uh, all of the different parishes mm -hmm. uh, in all of the different dioceses and Canubi was left out. Excommunicated. Mm -hmm. So the Canubi congregation didn't always meet traditional Pentecostal beliefs as Hannah has just alluded to. They accepted moderate use of alcohol and they also questioned the Trinity meaning that they rejected the mainstream Christian doctrine. That's going to upset some people. Yeah, and it uh, it did. That's why they weren't in the yearbook. And let's get into why. And that why is in the shape of one woman. So let's get into Osa Valdau, who was leading the sect when all of these naughty scandals happened. Osa was born in 1965. Even though her parents were secular, her grandfather was an important leader in the early Swedish Pentecostal movement. She claimed that when she was 16, she had a salvation experience at a religious camp. Is that what you're going to call yeah, it, exactly. Osa? No red flags there. <laughs> Her beliefs fell in line with the Pentecostal movement, and those beliefs were an emphasis on the individual's personal experience and relationship to God, as well as a closeness to Jesus. She gets very close to Jesus, as we will find out. She was especially... This one time at religious <laughs> camp... <laughs> I got really close to Jesus. He moved within me. She was especially drawn to the emphasis of love and fellowship between followers. Oh, yeah. Wow, wow. That is the seventh time you've done that today. I'm going I'm I'm to keep counting. doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. So Osa was baptized in 1983. And after that, she worked with different projects within Pentecostal congregations. She focused a lot on children and teenagers, as well as music she soon started to teach and evangelize. In 1990, she found work as a children's pastor. Uh-oh. Mm -mm. Stuff, stuff she should not have been doing, number one. And around this time, she divorced her husband. And according to accounts from Osa, the divorce prevented her from continuing her work as a pastor in their town. So, 
After her stint as a child's pastor didn't work out so well, Osa went to Canoopy, Philadelphia, where she knew some of the congregation already, and eventually they asked Osa to stay and be their pastor. The request came about because the community believed that they had received a prophetic message that told them that they should open their doors to, quote, a female servant of the Lord who had experienced great crisis. Prior to 1992, so pre-OSA, pre-OSA era, Canute B. Philadelphia was described as a fairly conventional Pentecostal congregation, but radical changes occurred after OSA became their head pastor. That's how it always goes. Because what have we seen with these kind of things? When you let a woman in, it all goes to shit. That's what we've learned. Coming up, we'll get into the untraditional way of life in the Canoopy Philadelphia congregation and how Osa got the nickname the Bride of Christ. I'm guessing she gave it to herself. She absolutely did, which as we have discussed many times, if you give yourself a nickname, it's not a nickname, you're just a dickhead. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. So let's get into how Osa Valdau led some of her congregants to believe that she was, in fact, the Bride of Christ. Around the time Osa took on her role as pastor of the church in 1992, there were but 40 members Whoa, big time. of Canoopy, Philadelphia. Like Pentecostal congregations, prophecies, visions, and demons have been a part of the community's theology, but only a minor one. Osa has said that she resisted excesses of searching for signs and miracles, she didn't resist the excesses of um, other more fleshly things, though, did she? She believed that the love and fellowship in the community, as well as the search for Jesus, were much more central to her. During the 1990s, Osa served as a traveling evangelist. I cannot think of a more scary job. And not yeah. to do, to have done to me. To be evangelized at while you're traveling? Yes. Okay. Or this person just follows me mm. because they are also on the same route. Nightmare. Uh, but she served as a traveling evangelist within the Pentecostal movement. And she made her way around Sweden. And along her travels, she managed to recruit some new members to the Canopy congregation. Under Osa's leadership, membership doubled to about 100 within just a few years. And that's big bucks in Pentecostal terms. The new congregation consisted mostly, surprise, surprise, of young people, many of them second or third generation members of the Swedish Pentecostal movement. Two of those members were Helga Fosmo and his wife, Helene. Not long after meeting Osa, they moved to Knutby. Helga would become one of the pastors at Knutby, and we will get back to him in a minute, and Helene as well. 
Also in 1994, Osa remarried. Her second husband was 18 years old, and his name was Patrick Valdau. So he's 10 years younger than her. And also, she had been living in the same house as him for quite some time before they got married. He was a member of the church, and his parents belonged to the community for a long time, which is presumably why they saw absolutely no problem with her living with their teenage son before he's 18 years old. And Patrick and Osa went on to have two children together. In 1997, Canopy Philadelphia started a Bible school. It was held annually and lasted three whole months. That is one religious summer camp. And attendees would stay in private homes. Some participants stayed for good. I love this holiday. I just don't ever want to go home. Now, there were some different levels of membership in the Canutby community. The core group lived a very different lifestyle from the rest of the congregation. They spent a lot of time with Osa and would serve her in various ways. I bet they did. Mm. Sometimes this meant living away from their spouses and children. And this would also include single members and children who were also known to sleep at the houses of other members. Meals were often taken together with other members. Menial jobs like painting, cleaning or repairing houses were often a collective project. Some of the older members didn't appreciate Osa's teachings and left, leaving the makeup of the community exactly what she wanted, mostly young people. And what happens when people tell cult leaders what to do? They double down. At the end of the 1990s, Osa Valdau was placed in the role of future wife of Jesus. And soon she became known to the inner circle as the Bride of Christ. This is particularly controversial for many Christian doctrine reasons. Traditionally, within most uh, arms of Christianity, the entirety of the church is considered to be the Bride of Christ. So that is why you have to wait for salvation, because in Jesus-y Bible times, the wife would wait at the house for her husband to come and get her. So that's why we're all waiting for the return of Jesus, right? So that's where the metaphor extends to being the bride of Christ. So for someone claiming that they only are the bride of Christ and the rest of the church can get fucked, that is going to cause some problems. But some rumors claim that Pastor Helga Fosmo was actually the one to give Osa the name that she didn't come up with it herself, but I don't really buy that. He also reportedly manipulated the congregation to help put Osa into power. So around the year 2000, there was a strong expectation shared by the Canopy pastors and members that Jesus would return to usher in the millennium very soon. If I were to believe in this kind of thing, mm. I would think that it was going to happen in the year 2000. Yep. Why not? It's as good a time as any. We were all scared of the fucking millennium bug. Well, not me. I was 10. But they also believed that the community had an important role in the big JC's return specifically Bride of Christ, Osa. Members believed that Osa and Jesus would marry upon his return. Imagine the narcissism and the megalomania to think that Jesus is going to come back, come back to earth for the second coming of Christ, and uh, he's going to marry you, of all of the women. Of all of the women in all of the world. He's going to marry you, Osa. And they also believed that when Armageddon happened, Osa would be sent home with Jesus and the world would change. So she's not even fucking with the 144,000 stuff. She's like, it's 144 me, bitch. (laughs) And as the second coming of Christ was imminent, 
mundane relations were not considered important to the group. I think that is also a very key reason why cult leaders do the whole doomsday thing, right? Because if you think the world is imminently going to end, then you're less likely to sit around bitching about how, like, shit it is to live in a communal situation. Yeah, or be worried about the law of man. Precisely. So for the second coming, members had to be purified, consecrated, and had to avoid sin in order to get closer to God. Osa has claimed that there was an agreement within the core group that mild violence was a way to fight evil spiritual powers. It was believed that if Osa had to use violence, it was the member's own fault, and that members should be thankful for the correction. Sometimes she would slap members to, quote, wake them up, or put her foot on them, and even press them against a wall to make them take command of their situation. And after a while, it became okay for members of the core group to punish each other. This would spare Osa from having to punish them herself. So not uh, not major sins, not major yeah, in- no, infractions. No, I mean, I think she might have an anger problem. Yes. An anger problem and also internal misogyny because Osa told members that they should embrace patriarchal roles within their households. But the ultimate focus of the group was on the return of Jesus Christ and making sure that their souls were ready for salvation. You don't want to get left behind. No, that would be be a real bummer, wouldn't it? You all go off to holiday camp together and then uh, suddenly you're just left on your own while everybody else has gone off to the great fucking heaven in the sky. And everyone else has gone to all of the other Pentecostal churches that aren't mental. Exactly. And you're just on your own. Terrible. Up next, two members of the Canute congregation get shot, and Pastor Helga's adulterous behaviours are exposed. So let's get into the controversies that thrust the Canute congregation into the international media spotlight. When Pastor Helga Fosmo and his wife Helene moved to the Canoopy community, their marriage had started to deteriorate. Well, Helga has blamed the marriage's collapse on the demands that Osa placed on her. He said of Osa, quote, I was at her side all my waking hours. The bride of Christ said that it was wrong of my wife to question God's will and that I should be with the bride of Christ. Did she fuck? <laughs> <laughs> In 1999, Helene was found dead in her bathtub. Her death was said to be a tragic accident. Following Helene's death, some of the congregants believed that they would see her again because, quote, God's kingdom would soon come. So in other words, she was the lucky one. Mm. She's she's a <gasps> passed go and collected $200. She's yeah. ahead of the game. Straight there. <laughs> Robber dinghy rapids. No. What? seen three lions four lions whatever it's called never mind i did but i fell asleep sorry ah terrible never mind helga remarried in 2000 his new wife happened to be osa's sister alexandra but not long after their marriage helga started sleeping with the family's nanny sarah svensson helga reportedly told sarah that they weren't being unfaithful because their love was quote a heavenly love and that they were carrying out acts of god Helga's fucking 
appendage is uh, very, very holy by the sounds of it. Yeah, almost as holy as Tom Cruise's. <laughs> In 2001, Helga claimed that he had a mysterious illness, an illness he believed that the devil was using to attack his soul. He told Sarah that she was the only one who could care for him, so he asked her to move in with him and Alexandra. Alexandra, his wife, moved into the guest room, while Sarah slept in the master bedroom with Helga and his holy cock. In late 2003, Helga told Sarah that he had spoken to God and it was God's wish that Alexandra be taken to heaven. Soon after he said this, Sarah started receiving a series of anonymous text messages because God does not use WhatsApp. And these text messages told her that she should kill Alexandra. Oh my God. Yeah, shit, shit's fucked up. Like, it's, it's mad. It's like the plot line out of some sort of, like, biblical pretty little liars. Also, just imagine having God in your contacts. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, hey, Sarah. It's me, God. How are you? I hope you're doing well. Um, so, so that that Alexandra, she's she's got to go, man. She's got to go. Um, sad face emoji. Sad face emoji. Knife emoji. Crying face. Knife emoji. Devil horns. And these texts from God assured Sarah that killing Alexandra would be her salvation. So she's doing her a favor. And so, soon after these so-called messages from God started to arrive to Sarah's little phone, more arrived this time telling Sarah to not only kill Alexandra, but to kill another member of the congregation too. And this member was called Daniel Linda. And guess who was sleeping with Daniel Linda's wife during this time? Of course, serial Casanova, all-round sexy man of God and Jesus's penis wielder, Helga Fosmo. Wait, before we continue, can we take a look at a picture of Helga Fosmo? <laughs> yes. I need to see this. A beardy, I remember, I think. Oh. What? Slim pickings in rural Sweden, my friend. Yeah. All right. Okay. okay. He, he doesn't need to be good looking. He's got Jesus's dick. He does. He does. You're right. How dare I? And guess, Saruti Parlo, mm. who was sleeping with Daniel Linda's wife? It was him. And then, double guess, who was Daniel Linda's wife related to? Is it Jesus? <laughs> almost. Almost. Uh, she was Osa's sister-in-law. Of course she was. On the night of the 10th of January 2004, Alexandra Fosmo and Daniel Linda were shot in their homes. Alexandra Fosmo died, but Daniel Linda survived. Days later, Sarah Svensson confessed to both the shootings. She also confessed to having attacked Alexandra with a hammer the previous year. And even though members of the congregation knew about the attack when it happened, it was never reported to the police. A hammer attack. And you're just like, well, are you sorry? You're not going to do it again, are you? Pelga didn't do very much. All he did was excommunicate Sarah from the community, only to bring her back very soon after. Pastor Helga Fosmo was arrested on suspicion of being an accomplice in the murder of his wife and the shooting of Daniel Linda. Daniel's wife was also arrested, but she was released and never charged. In 2004, Helga said that he had absolutely no knowledge of the so-called texts from God. But it was later revealed that he did because he had been sending the texts himself. In the two months leading up to the shootings, Sarah and Helga, pretending to be God, exchanged over 2,200 messages. Oh my God. 
What? It's a lot of SMSs. Is. A thousand messages a month. Yes. That's intense. One of these texts from God read, You need to make a decision and not wither. Find a safe solution. You prove your love by liberating him. His limit is soon reached and he needs assurance. Time flies. Act before it's too late. On the actual day of the murder, they exchanged 18 text messages and 10 phone calls. Prove your love by liberating him, for God's sake. Also, one would think that if you were so endowed with divine knowledge Mm -hmm. that you were um, God's own assassin, you would understand that phone calls can be traced. Also in 2004, the Canopy Philadelphia congregation was expelled from the Pentecostal movement for, quote, deviant beliefs and lifestyle. Don't you? At Sarah's trial in 2004, she described how Helga held her under his control and that he demanded round-the-clock attention when he was sick and that she didn't leave his room for six months. She said, quote, In the evenings, I was with the minister in the bedroom where we had a sexual relationship. Otherwise, my relationship with him was one that I was a slave and he was my master. I had no will of my own. During almost all of 2003, I was locked away because I was so incorrigible. God had turned his back on me and I sought mercy. In July 2004, Helga Fosmo and Sarah Svensson were convicted for conspiracy to commit murder and attempted murder. Helga was sentenced to life imprisonment, but was later given a reduced sentence that could see him released in early 2022, this very year. Maybe he's even out now as we speak. Uh Uh-oh. Sarah Svensson was sentenced to secure psychiatric care, but she was released in 2011 after the court decided that she was unlikely to commit another crime. In 2006, Helga Fosmo changed his story and said that the text messages to Sarah had actually come from Osa and that he was just forwarding them. Get a backbone. Like, you're in prison or anyway. Just come on. After all the controversies surrounding the Canopy congregation, they finally disbanded in 2016. In March 2020, Osa Valdau was convicted on eight counts of assault towards members of the congregation. She was given a suspended sentence and 120 hours of community service. She now goes by a new and unknown name. Do you know what she managed to do before March 2020? Get COVID. (laughs) I mean, quite possibly. uh, An early adopter of COVID-19. No, she released a gospel album. Uh, Of course she did. Outstanding. There you go. That's Canoopy. Female cult leaders do exist and don't believe anything Helga Fosmo says would be my advice to you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. And... For the right reasons, we just wanted to mention that for today's episode, we referenced reporting from the Irish Times and two research papers by Lisa Lette Frisk, Spiritual Shunning, Its Significance for the Murder in Canutby, and The Dissolution of a Religious Community, The Case of Canutby, Philadelphia in Sweden. And please remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every single week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, make sure you follow at Parcast on Facebook and on Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. 
And if you like us, like Hannah said, we have in fact covered the case of Canopy Philadelphia over on our other weekly show, Red Handed, which is of course a true crime podcast that Hannah and I do together. We've also been to Sweden a couple of other times, including for the very infamous case that is very unimaginatively called the Swedish case. And that is, of course, on the nightmarish murders of two New Zealand backpackers, Sven Urban Hogling and Heidi Brigitta Pakkanen. So if you want to check out true crime from all over the world, come listen to Red Handed. And we'll see you there or here or maybe somewhere else next time. Goodbye. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo, Gemma Waters and Tracy Levy. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. Research by Chelsea Wood and fact-checking by Cara McAleen. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala. <laughs>